Fairbanks is a tough guy town. Shovel Lake is a tough guy town. Tofty is a tough guy town. I know you're stoked. I know you want to go out there and smash. This year's your big year. <laughs> there we go. Oh yeah, I get I get ribbed because I I brand it incorrectly a few times. Correct. <laughs> so but we're gonna fix you. Check yourself before you wreck yourself. Sorry, Miss Jackson. Callaway is a tough guy town. It's a grip wax nation sensation. Tofty is a tough guy town. My baby is drama, mama. Don't like me. Things like having a wood insane and OCD about every workout, being like perfect and weighing your oatmeal in the morning. Like, it's Shovel Lake Public Radio. These, these are grease under the fingernail parents that are working in garages and they want their kids to ski race because they ski race and they they look at the character these kids are getting, the grit they get from sports. Dig like Jesse. Anything's possible. And this summer I am really looking forward to like just grinding. And like I've talked with a bunch of fellow teammates and we are all like, we're gonna hit this summer hard. Kick like Clabo. Kick like Claybo. This is your. Is there something to be mad about? Because if there is, I'll be the Rage King later. Welcome to Shovel Lake Public Radio. Ryan Cedarquist here. Cedar Scare podcast in action on this Friday afternoon. Coming to you way too late. We wanted to get here earlier. Uh, trust me, it's been quite a week. And there's a lot to talk about. In fact, so much has happened. I don't even remember all of it, but we'll try to review. I mean, oh, sorry, Ajay's barking at me saying, stick to the script. Um, what's, oh, you wrote a script out? Like show notes script. Hi, Ajay. What? That's a great point, Ralph. Yeah. Okay, fine. I'll try to stick Joe to the Maurer script. Joe Maurer is a natural athlete. We are not talking about Joe Maurer. You're just clicking buttons now. You need Kick to... like Clabo. Stop. We'll talk about him. Kick like Clabo. We already played that one. Perfect. Dig like Jesse. Yeah, Jesse was there. They were all there. They were all there. Thank you, Christy, for the sound bites. Actually, speaking of who is here, right next to me, Ella Cedarquist is resting. Uh, Novi is having her nap. So so basically, guys, in case you're wondering, you know, now the Shovel Lake Public Radio, see the Cedar Scare podcast, we kind of only come on the air, it seems like, when all of these things come together at once. A World Cup has happened that we can talk about, that we've watched and taken notes on. Um, I'm like a day ahead on work. And then Novi happens to be asleep <laughs> at nap time. And all is right with the world. And it's quiet here in the studios at 10,000 feet. You know, here we are. Um, and that's happened now, and I know we're already into the final weekend of World Cup action, but we got to go back, discuss a few things, and Grip Wax Nation has been all over me because they're like, dude, there's so much to discuss. Where have you been? <laughs> I'm so sorry. Uh, and there is quite a bit to discuss. We have, uh, there, in fact, I would say there's a lot to rage about. We've got globes up for grabs. We've got wax controls did it work did it not work what does facebook think because that's all that really matters we got that to rage about we've got interviews 
to share with you. We have opinions on those interviews. We still haven't even talked about Junior Nationals yet. I think I got to send the bad signal out right now to Andrew Kastnig if he wants to come on the show and tell us how it was at Junior Nationals. I have talked to some coaches. In fact, I wrote a story. Uh, it's up on the Vail Daily. In fact, so you go check out the Vail Daily. We have a story up on Junior Nationals. We talked to Will Bentley. In fact, Will made the Cedar Skier soundbite uh, list now. You probably heard him talking. Can we play the Will Bentley clip again? Anything's possible. And this summer, I am really looking forward to like just grinding. And like I've talked with a bunch of fellow teammates and we are all like, we're going to hit this summer hard. Wow, what a stud. And I will, um, just for Will's sake, add that Devin Kershaw would like to say. Check yourself before you wreck yourself. That's right. So, uh, <laughs> no, man, crush it all summer long. Just get after it. I love it. Will Bentley, you're probably going to be hearing that name. Uh, junior national champ in individual start, U16. Also almost won a uh, national championship in the mass start of the final day. And stop it all off. I think he was third in the sprint. So great showing there for the Ski Club Vale athletes. Also, another story that's up. It's on cedarskier.com. It's also on thevaledaily.com. We wrote up a little piece about the Leadville Equinox Challenge. You probably enjoyed that show from earlier in the week. And we talked to a lot of different people. So that is also up as well. Feel free to check that out. It's a good story. Lots of good photos from the event. And I think I need to start training right now. Um, you know, speaking of training, if, if you haven't done a race, I think that Red Bull 210 kilometer race has like a virtual version. You can enter in to win some Fisher ski package or something or other. So may, I don't know, maybe randomly, if I'm feeling up for it some morning, I'm just going to strap on the skis and go, here it is 210 K let's log it. Uh, but it would go against all of my principles of <clears throat> logging on Strava. We, we can't do that. You know, come on now. It's got to be secretive. It's got to be old school. It's got to be. Jack Rabbit Johansson in the woods, and that's how we do it up here in Leadville anyway. Speaking of that, grooming report, mineral belt looks terrible per usual. However, CMC was run over with a little bit of a comb, it looks like. I skated there this morning with Ajay. She did not encounter any other living species, so we haven't been arrested yet. We're still okay. We're out there grinding. Yesterday, I was at the Vail Nordic Center. That was phenomenal. Vail Nordic Center is great check that out they're still they still got some gro- a, a couple weeks of grooming left maybe um so hit that up while you still can the frisco nordic center has been looking fantastic from what i hear um oh that reminds me actually we were in for an appo- uh, an appointment here for young little ella i know you're you're kind of like are you going to talk about world cups just in case if you're new to the show if you're new okay it's a grip wax nation sensation that's exactly right and we we um we'll we'll get to the grip waxing and the waxing poetic eventually okay but first a little bit about me the host so anyway ella had an appointment in frisco um i did a little ski but then we had planned my wife and i we've been waiting for i don't know maybe like 575 days probably that's that's about what it is to go out to eat um if our parents are in town they'll take us out occasionally our my my older brother the rich one he will take me out sorry dan he knows he'll take me out to eat occasionally which is nice but otherwise we are fully dependent on gift cards well my parents have given us a few olive garden gift cards so we headed down to the big city denver kick like clabo oh my gosh ajay just stop with we went down to the og and we want to make a day of it so we packed up the girls. We drove over I-70 through the Eisenhower Tunnel. 
and arrived. Kicked like Clabo. Are we going to edit any of this out? My gosh. Yeah, Aja, you made the baby cry because you, you kept clicking buttons. Okay, so stop. Um, anyway, we went to this huge antique store that's on the side of I-70. You maybe heard of it if you're like a Nebraska or Colorado person. Um, I believe it's called... Well, wait, now I'm forgetting the name of it. The Brass Armadillo. That's what it is. So we went to the Brass Armadillo and... There is a photo there, by the way, of a ski event that took place up on the hill um, that you ride, that you scoop down, you swing down when you're coming into like the golden Denver area on the west side, uh, Genesio Hill, maybe, is that how you say it? There, there's a picture, a photo of a ski event that took place there in 1923, and I think it just says, like, it's very basic, it just says, like, uh, Oh, na- national ski event, or I don't know, it's something bizarre. And it has all these photos. There's people out there skiing on this hill. It's like you, you, some people might want to buy it up and go, see, see, we can't hold the ski events here, global warming. Um, and but this photo, I saw it the last time I was at the Brass Armadillo, which I'm, I'm kidding, I'm not kidding you. This was like at least 17 months ago because Novi was either not born yet or like a total toddler. And I think this was the last time we had gone to Olive Garden. Uh, and I remember seeing the photo and I was I was close to buying it. I think it's 30 bucks. And that's how much of a cheapskate I am. And so we're walking through the Brass Armadillo. We see this photo again. I'm like, oh my gosh, it's the photo. And Christy's like, I have no idea what you're talking about. And I couldn't believe that because I probably talked about this photo every single day before we went to bed from the first time I saw it until now, the second time, the reunion. Um, Price was still the same, and so I just set it back down, and I was like, well, if it's there next time, next time we go to the OG and make a trip down to Denver, then maybe I'll buy it. But yeah, we went to Olive Garden. Uh, We played it in in this little playground area in this gym uh, in a mall before that. And so when we go to Olive Garden, Novi was just famished. And we were, I ordered the Tour of Italy. I went through two entire bowls of salad myself. And I don't know, like five, six bread, breadsticks. It was actually a little bit of a light meal for me. I, 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 I'm not joking. This is actually me being honest. I was a little concerned when I was done because I felt content. And usually it takes me three or four hours at Olive Garden to feel content. And this was just like... I don't know. I finished the tour of Italy and only started to eat some of Christie's meal, and I didn't even ask for more salad. But the thing that I think I want to highlight here is Novi just devoured tons of. I mean, she ate for like forty minutes straight. She was so cute. She was sitting next to me in the booth, um, and she would just behave so well. It was, uh, it was so. I was so proud to see n- not so much the good behavior. But the just ravenous devouring of Olive Garden food because, I mean, yeah, she's she is a, a little girl just after her father's heart, I think. Um, and, yeah, so there was the little adventure into the Olive Garden. I will not say any more. I had another story I wanted to share, but I am now getting emails from everyone from across the entire country. They're pouring into the cedarskier at gmail.com. Um, inbox and they're saying stop talk world cup i had a, a hilarious story about losing my keys and losing my phone again uh but i'll have to share it next time so write that in the notes um ajay that let's get to that next time on the on the next show yeah let's hop right into falloon okay so the results from falloon we had a weekend of a, a 10k and a sprint event and our women in we'll talk women first here in the 10k the event won by Kertu Niskinen 
Katharina Henning in second, and Anastasia Calvo in third. So Diggins takes fourth, a great result for her, for a classic especially, obviously. Uh, Rosie Brennan takes sixth in that event, and a pretty diverse top ten. You know, if you run down just looking at the country starting in tenth, we've got Norway, Czech Republic in ninth, Sweden in eighth, Norway in seventh, U.S. sixth, Sweden fifth, U.S. fourth, Norway third, Germany second, Finland first. That's kind of stuff you like to see, right? You like to see that diversity because, you know, if it's not diverse, then it it was terrible. Something was wrong. And <laughs> apparently, um, I think, well, before before we discuss what we thought of that event, let's hear quick from Jesse Diggins and Rosie Brennan on the 10K in Falun. Here we go. Today's race was great. Uh, I love 10K classics, and uh, we were worried about some tricky conditions with an incoming snowstorm, but it seemed to have mostly held off for the girls' race, so the conditions seemed to hold up pretty well and were fair throughout the race, so that's always a plus. Um, it, I really liked the courses here and the skiing here, and I've, I've had some strong races here before, so I was very optimistic for a good classic day, um, and I felt good throughout the race, so yeah, I'm, I'm happy with the result, and um, yeah, just trying to focus on each day and get the most out of the few races we have left, um, and to keep the battle in the overall reel, so I'll be looking forward to some sprint action tomorrow. Hey, this is Jesse with notes from the Falun 10K Classic Individual Start Race. Um, first of all, I was so, so proud and pumped about my teammates. Um, on the men's side, Ben and Scott g- getting up there and especially that really gutsy hot pace from the start by Ben that made it so exciting. Um, that was just so cool to see and follow along. And then on the women's side, to have three in the top 15 was awesome. Um, especially seeing Novi return to the World Cup and just smash a race. That was just super cool. And then Sammy's first uh, distance World Cup start. So tons to celebrate. Um, and I have to say, we would need to celebrate the Wax Tech's accomplishment because it was a tricky day out there. There was a predicted snowstorm, and then it started later than everyone thought it would. Um, and so they had to have multiple pairs of skis at the ready. They had clister, they had hard wax, they had zeros, they had all these different skis ready. And because of the, um, because they were testing out the procedure for testing for fluoros, they had to have the skis at the start 30 minutes before the athlete started, which meant that we were out there really early picking skis, which is not, um, our usual thing to get out there and start testing an hour and 45 minutes before the race. So everyone had to adjust and try something a little different. And I was just really, really proud of them for nailing the skis under such challenging conditions and all of that uncertainty. So that was just such a win, uh, for the wax truck team. That was super cool. And for me, I was really happy with my race. This was my best ever, uh, career result for an individual start classic distance race. And it was really, really confidence boosting. I felt like I could really just get up those hills with good grip. Um, I was really pushing over the tops of the hills, working every part of the course. And, I really had to fight for it. Um, It's, you know, there's been a lot of load accumulating with all the different races that we've been doing, but it was just awesome to know that I could still dig deep and fight for it. So I'm excited to finish out the season with everything I have and um, yeah, just keep the momentum rolling into tomorrow. 
Well, I think Jesse brings up some really good observations, actually. You know, talking, first of all, about the wax text. I was unaware of that situation, testing out some of the protocols, good for fists to try and work out some of those kinks. Um, it, wh- why can't these companies just like, well, I guess I was going to say, why can't the companies just stop producing, you know, high floral products? You can coincide that with the World Cup, just go, yeah, we're not even going to produce anything. And then they could do some sort of a turn in your you know, HF wax event and everyone has to do that. And then at least, and you could still even implement some sort of a testing mechanism for a few years, but you know, you'd have to assume that like the black market for those waxes, it can't last forever. Even if someone's cheating, like they're going to run out of wax at some point and if no one's producing it anyway, aside from that point, great job by the wax, the wax text, the girls did an amazing job to have. And, and I'd forgotten about Novi McCabe finishing 14th after you know, two NCAA championships too. And I think I, I probably have to do a, you know, apology segment, apology tour there uh, for Novi. Just, uh, I mean, I'm a huge fan of Novi McKay, but I think in my heart, I was like, huh, maybe there really is this massive gap between NCAA and World Cup skiing. And, you know, yeah, it's great that more Americans are getting in the NCAA system, but it's just becoming this weird in-between tier. I, I don't know. I don't know if I'm convinced on any particular opinion now at this point. And if anything, her performance just shows that she wasn't languishing in, in the NCAA ranks. She's making a decision. She wants to get that college experience and it benefited her. So, you know, coming here, finishing 14th is a great result. Sammy Smith, you know, maybe it's time to actually talk a little well no we're gonna wait for the uh segment that we have coming up the xe signature question segment we'll get to sammy smith college choices but 41st so a great showing there and on the guy's side too jesse bringing up i love how she throws out praises to all of her teammates here ben ogden ben finishing 13th after taking out the pace hot and um you know a lot of people right now in the U.S. ski community, and I suppose internationally too, they go, oh, Ben, he's a sprint star. When is he going to get in the sprint final? Blah, blah, blah. I think that's all fine, and and he will eventually get there on the sprint side, but I don't view him as exclusively a sprinter, and I hope he doesn't either because I think <clears throat> he can, should, you know, could certainly become a much more all-around skier and if he if he works on his efficiency his strength all those things it's only going to help him in the sprints too like uh but he, but he just he strikes me as the as the kind of skier build wise mentality wise he belongs i think i think like the 10k distance actually maybe the 20k too but i think those two distances might actually end up being his sweet spot in both an individual and a mass start if he's fit enough, the individual start's going to work. And if he, he if he's um ha, if he's wily enough and and has finishing speed, then the mass starts on those distances will be good uh, too. Um, I, the thing about Ben that's so refreshing, I think, is just how. I mean, maybe it's because he's a Cedar Skier podcast guest. I don't know, but but he sort of feels like the Cedar Skier podcast version of a World Cup skier, where he's just like. I love his take on why are we all bowing down to King Clabo? Like he respects Clabo, obviously, but he's like, I'm going to go try and do this today, you know? And he, he implements kind of common sense, um, a common sense breakneck. This is going to seem like an oxymoron, I guess. Cause it's like, it's like a common sense risk maneuver in a lot of these races you see him do bold things but a lot of times it's those things that you're like yeah i'm so glad i'm finally seeing someone do this 
And he's in the process, I think, learning about some of his limits. He is gaining confidence because um, one of the best ways to gain confidence is to is by is through some trial and error. There's got there's going to be some failure along the way, but he is putting himself out there. So I I think this year the growth that we've seen in Ben Ogden is probably exponential compared to other American and I would even say North American skiers because typically North American skiers kind of go over there and and you can tell they're just either fighting you know to survive and they're they're sort of out of the picture out of the top 30 type skiers and and so their fight for survival is just okay don't embarrass myself on world cup tv or i want to make sure i i do whatever it takes to get a another world cup start you know like basically they're they're kind of they see they view themselves and their competitive sphere as being within the u.s versus ben kind of coming in here going I need, we need to start thinking bigger than that. And I'm going to take the risk that I need to do to do that and to start making steps towards that. And yeah, he's very, he's very flamboyant. Obviously too, the, just the visual, the mustache, the hat, we've talked about that too. Like he's the only one wearing a hat the right way. And it's just cool. I mean, he's, he is a fan favorite. Um, If he can start to be, you know, podium relevant week in and week out, in every single event, he will revolutionize the sport in the United States. Mark my words. I think if now if he's just kind of a podium threat in only the sprints, I do not think this will happen. If he's some guy though that you know both events two three days a week in the winter, Americans can go. Oh yeah, let's. How did Ben do? Or you know, kind of like Bodie Miller, where it's like he could win gold in every single thing. If he's on and and on top of that, he's just fun to watch because you, you it's must see TV. You don't want to miss it. If he can be that kind of caliber and continue the flamboyancy and all that and be young and be uh, in, in the men's realm. Oh, man, like people are going to start to tune in. In fact, the average Alpine ski fan will start to tune in just like Nordic fans kind of casually tune in and watch Schifrin. You know, we like to watch our guys win. But not only that, you know, it's something totally novel. So. Uh, I think if he was someone where it's like he's he's in the conversation as a top five skier in the world. Now, that's a big ask. I mean, he's yes, he's ranked what, like eighth in the overall right now. But is he really would you say like he's the eighth best skier in the world? I don't think so. Like I, I'm if we could get to like World Cup points and all that works. Sorry, Ben. I mean, yeah, I think he has a potential, though, to be there. I, I just think, you know, he needs he needs to <laughs> he needs to right. He needs to make that next step next year where like we're talking podium threat all the time and eventually, you know, he he has an opportunity to revolutionize the sport even more so than Bill Coke did. Um if he can surpass Bill Coke in that in those accomplishments. And I think it's like it's kind of a 50-50 in in my opinion on whether or not that will happen. Like you certainly don't go, well all the pedigrees there, all the talents there, it's just a little bit of a matter of time. No, like there's no guarantee with Ben. He's not he's not a specimen in that sense. But, you know, that's all the more reason to kind of like him. He's he's the everyman skier that we can all get behind, and he approaches the sport in the same way. So it's great to see him kind of having some of these performances, and I wonder if the U.S. staff is thinking the same thing. Like, hey, Ben, yeah, the sprints are kind of your forte now, but look at some of these glimpses of gold we've seen in 10Ks, you know, and some of the things you've done in the distance races. And he even mentioned himself, I think, on one of the 1,000 podcast appearances he made that one week in the U.S., that he... Um, you know, was working a little more on the thresholdy type workouts, you know, a little bit longer, a little bit harder, 
harder, longer type things. And he's felt like that's made him a better skier. So I think, you know, if he can kind of continue to do that, that'd be awesome. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it's just worth bringing up just the risk that he's put out there. Now I know we were talking girls 10 K and then I just started, went on a whole rant here about Ben. And I mean, I guess it's just kind of aside from Jesse mentioning, Hey, this is the best performance I've had in a individual start classic race. And, and the mention we made gave to Novi Rosie again, sort of falls in this sixth place, which is an amazing performance given all of the races she's done too. It's almost even more amazing that she's just still consistent um, but it kind of looks right now like she's going to be sitting on the outside um, after all of the events that have taken place. If we look at the cup standings and kind of the race there, I'm just pulling up. I had the, the page open. So here we're looking at the men. Let's take a look at the women cup standings. We have Rosie Brennan sitting in fourth and she is just under 200 points behind Kertu Niskanen in third. So, I mean, that's she's not going to be able to get on the podium there for that. And then a distance, she is fourth as well. A little bit closer there. 76 points behind Tierra Unis Vang. Um, so, I mean, it's going to be just the ultimate fourth place season for Rosie Brennan, it, it sort of looks like, which is unfortunate. I'd be very interested to hear what her thoughts are moving forward. Goals, I mean, it'd, it'd be hard for... I can't imagine she would retire, you know, just given the fact that she is, she's had maybe one of the best seasons ever this year. Uh, you know, I know there's those two World Cup wins kind of in the COVID one, but I think this year is maybe even better. And so don't, don't you at least, you know, if you were knocking on the door that much at the World Championships, I got to think you're thinking through 2025. And if at that World Championships, you win a medal or two, then you can go on to the next Olympics. But if not, then you maybe hang them up. I, I'm guessing that's sort of, Maybe what Rosie Brennan's thinking, but it'd be cool to have her be on a show. I'd I'd be happy to interview her for sure. Just a quick recap on the guys' 10K. I mean, when I saw Klabo finishing that up, I think for me it looked like he was sort of disgruntled and why wasn't this the shape, uh, you know, my shape two weeks ago at World Championships. And, you know, anytime he wins an individual start distance race, to me it just kind of confirms that idea that I kind of railed on over Worlds is I think he might be the fittest skier too, so go out there and prove it. Um, he kind of has only himself to blame, you know, like um, I think everything's there for it. Oh, speaking of Clabo, the other day when I was, I had a three-day uh, staying in the Sprinter van at the Vale Daily covering prep, prep sports and such, which for me always ends with like an hour and a half longer than normal staying up late watching random YouTube videos which I never do at home. I don't, I do not watch YouTube ever. Only when I'm like in the Sprinter van by myself, you know, just being totally a weirdo, I guess. And, and the videos I was watching were Johannes Klabo vlogs. And I watched the one in Salt Lake, which was hilarious. Like him getting the video game system, having that be like the highlight. It's like, wow, look, he's just totally a kid at heart in some ways, you know, and, and also him going to the football game with the, the Utes, and just being kind of astonished by the fact that he didn't understand the game of football. And then also just didn't really, he's like, wow, you know, there's no drinking allowed here in the stadium. So kids get wasted beforehand and they come here. And I was just like, the cultural experience was crazy. I'm guessing Johannes Globo does not listen to this podcast, but if on the, you know, far chances, I know we have some Norwegian listeners I can see um, through our anchor data, but 
Hey, Clabo, if you want to come get a little extra altitude training, we have better roller skiing here even than in Park City, maybe. I don't know if that's true, but it's close. <clears throat> um, so how legendary would that be? Johannes Clabo and me, roller ski in the mineral belt. Maybe Ajay in there. See if she see if Ajay would like become best friends with Clabo and try to get in his Toyota rental car. You know, who knows? But anyway, it was an interesting watch. <clears throat> yeah. It was a great watch to see him just enjoying that training trip and and I watched some other videos too. He was uh, he had a video his brother uh, made of him at World Championships. And the thing that kind of is just striking to me is like he is the biggest sport uh, star in our sport, and his support system just feels so normal. Uh, maybe that's because it's cross country skiing. Maybe it's because his support system really is that normal. But it was cool to see you know his girlfriend, his brother, his dad, his mom, and just what they thought as things were transpiring through the first couple of days of the world championships. It just, yeah, it felt like uh, I, I could imagine any family going through this um, and being like this at an NCAA meet or a random high school meet. And here, this is the best in the world at world championships trying to make history. So kind of a cool watch there. If you got time, maybe check out those Clabo vlogs. Uh, second day, Clabo claims the sprint. No surprise really there. Uh, so he comes home away with two victories, and his season of dominance just kind of continues. I mean, what more can you say about that other than, and I think this is a good time to launch into our XC Signature questions, because I got five of them here. The XC Signature brought to you by the United States Ski Pole Company. We've been using United States Ski Pole Company poles since, oh, 2018, and it's been going well. Uh, you can reach out cedarskier at gmail.com if you want to get your own cedarskier.com polls you can they have the graphics there just I don't know shoot me an email and say I want classic XC signatures with the cedarskier.com graphic order them for me now and we will get you taken care of um, <clears throat> but yeah the first of the five XC signature questions is the cup standings thing the new the new points system in the World Cup kind of rigging the cup standings to some degree or making it not fair. I tend to think a little bit it, it is not it's not perfectly solved that's for sure. Um, <clears throat> and and the reason I say that is because Clabo has won so many races this year. What is it? Seventeen? We're up to eighteen. He broke the record, and and really he probably have the male and female record too. If they didn't count all those tour wins, you know, as they had all those mini tours and those would count as World Cup wins as well. But um, Clabo, oh, I guess I can look up real quick. I'm on his Wikipedia page now. 2022-2023. Man, this is crazy. First, 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 first. Four firsts, then a second. Then first, 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 first. Oh my gosh, I can't even keep track. So there's four plus six, seven. <clears throat> oh, that's 11, right? 12, 13, 17. Yeah, I was right, 17. 17 victories this season. And what is he in the cup standings? His cup standings place right now. I mean, you would given just his overall dominance in the distance, the sprints, I can't imagine he would have swept distance, sprint, and overall globes this year. Right now in the overall, he's 110. Oh, sorry. It's on the uh, the women still. Why is it doing that? Clicked men. Um, My goodness. No, not Nations Cup. What is going on? Why is it messing? I was like, Clabo. All right, here we go, Clabo. All right, so he's over 400 points ahead on Paul Goldberg now, but it took a while for him to finally pull away. 
And in the distance standings, he trails Goldberg. And it's by over 100 points. 1,148 for Goldberg. Klabo has 1,036. And in the sprint, yes, again, he's first, but he I think he just wrapped that up now um, after, the, after winning in Estonia and winning in Sweden. It's just like... I mean, we take for granted that he's going to win all the time, but those wins just shouldn't be that way. And and Sha- so Shanova's right there in second. He didn't. He Klabo didn't even lock up the overall sprint globe until literally what the the last sprint, the second to last sprint. So com- contrast that with Schifrin, who was much less dominant in slalom, giant slalom, and just actually in the overall in alpine skiing and she wrapped that up like in J- it was before the world championships she had wrapped up a couple of those globes um now obviously the nature of both of those sports is such that Schifrin being able to enter in all four of the disciplines and most skiers really having no chance at doing that and she does it at a high level it makes the overall globe almost a lock like every year but it's also the world cup point system is different for alpine and i guess i think just real quick they have to go back and look at that. I think the wins need to matter more. And and podiums should matter more too. It shouldn't just be this simple like, you know, keeping it all really close all the way down. I think the win needs to be like maybe 10 points more than second and the second and the third, those two point points can be much closer. And so just in case you're wondering, you know, for some context, right now, the new World Cup system, it goes 100 for first, 95 for second, 90 for third, 85 for fourth, 80 for fifth, 75 for sixth. Then it starts going down by three-point increments down to 60 points for, like, 11th. Um, Then it starts going down two-point increments to 50 points for 16th. And it's two-point increments for 31st place, all the way down to 20 points there. And that starts going down by one-point increments, so 50th place still gets a point. I kind of like how they extend it out. I, I don't think you'd have to change anything, honestly, from, like, 10th place on down. The old system, though, used to be 180, 60, 50. That's first, second, third, fourth. Now, again, that system's kind of broken, too. It way too much seems to weight winning. Um, like, <clears throat> the difference between winning and third in a sprint event could be hundreds of a second. It shouldn't be a, a 100 to 60, I don't think. I think you could go more like 100 points for a win and then like 87 points or maybe 91 points for second and 87 points for third. So if you're going to win some events, you're going to create it, you know, a little bit more of a gap. And maybe they even should consider having points be different depending on the disciplines. You know, just kind of look at is there a huge difference, for example, at an individual start? Maybe you maybe you keep the 195 on down because you know, winning that is it's so much more based on time. Or or maybe if you're really mathematical about it, they should make it based on the margin of the win in an individual start. That would actually be kind of cool if they, if it was like if you won a individual start, the the second gap from first to second determines your points. Or, you know, just like score it. You could even score it all the way through the top fifty that way. Kind of like they do with age graded percentages. I don't even totally understand exactly how that works, but like make a similar type system for the points. Either way, I think they kind of need to change it. Another thought I've had too is if you kept it the same way, maybe just to um, incentivize and reward athletes who are winning the majority of races, they could offer like a 100 point bonus to the first athlete to win five World Cup events in a season. 
Um, that might be kind of a cool thing. You could also add some different bonuses for um, the different team events. Because one thing that's so annoying, these stupid like team events that come up and it's like, it doesn't count as a World Cup win. They, why not just count it? Like if you're on a team sprint and your team wins, it should just be a World Cup win, just like an individual one. You know? I mean, otherwise some of these athletes aren't incentivized to do it other than to just practice doing a handoff and it feels weird. Um, and the, the relay is the same thing, but they, if they made it, so it counted for world cup points. And even if it's just like, you know, it's a bonus, you know, there's a 50 point bonus if you're on the winning team or a 30 point bonus or something like that, it, it would at least give it. So it means something we're, we're essentially watching like this meaningless dress rehearsal, in some of those, which is frustrating, but yeah, I think I think they getting, they got to go back to the drawing board. I guess we'll find out, you know, in those fist conferences, the congresses, or whatever in May, see if they change some of those things. Now, before we get to that second one, I didn't mention the Falun sprint, um, the skate sprint. There, I think it's worth talking just a little bit about how on the ladies' side, you know, um, I guess one note I wrote in here was just, you know, Rosie and Sammy were way off the pace and. With Sammy Smith, I was kind of wondering, is that something that has to do with her, you know, having um, just not as good as skis? You know, here, here, here it is, the youngster coming up and her equipment isn't on par. Or is it, it's the youngster coming up and she's a youngster? I mean, I think there's a lot of people who would say it's the latter for sure. But um, yeah, the thing that was a little bit shocking in all the races I've seen Sammy Smith, including the team sprint relay today, was just, it seems like she is she is consistently off the off the pack you know from like the gun it's not she's trying to throw herself in there mix it up and then fades it's she's just not even there and and yet she qualified very high so it's or high enough right to make it into these is just such an accomplishment so it seems to me like she's got the speed with these ladies so i don't know where that gap is necessarily but um before we talk more about the Falun sprint, and then we got to get to Estonia too. We got to keep moving. Let's quickly listen to what Rosie Brennan said. With all this racing after a pretty long season, my body's been a little unpredictable and up and down today. Unfortunately, was just yeah, my body had nothing and was not feeling it, and so it was tough to get find much a uh, sprint or power in my legs. So uh, I thought I could maybe catch a second wind in the heats, but yeah, just wasn't having it today. So time to rest up and a few more races to give some fight for so i guess that kind of answers the question on rosie's side you know this is fatigue kind of setting in finally um let's see what jesse diggins had to say hey jesse here with notes from the falloon uh skate sprint that was really exciting um i think one of my highlights of the day was seeing sammy make the heats that was so cool and so exciting and I don't know if you could see on TV, but there were so many fans. It was such a great atmosphere. They were cheering for everyone. Um, it was really, really cool. So what a super fun place to get to do your first World Cup heats. Um, that was just a really exciting environment. Um, and it was, I think, less um, variable than yesterday with the snowstorms going on. It was just kind of damp out there, um, So, which meant that the kind of tricky, fast right-hand um, downhill corner, which has historically been a site of a lot of crashes, skied really well, uh, which was really, really cool and, and fun. Um, 
Yeah. And I think, you know, it wasn't the greatest day for the U.S. Um, We just had, you know, a number of things contributing to that. Um, Personally, I really struggled to get out to a good start and then got kind of stuck. So I knew we weren't going fast enough for a lucky loser time. And I actually was really proud of how I skied tactically, got a slingshot, got in front. But then I chose the wrong finishing lane. Um, I didn't really realize that the one to my left had been skied in by all the qualifiers. And I wish if I could go back, I would, of course, do that. But that's sprint racing for you. You don't really have any room for errors. But I am proud of going out there and giving it all I had. Um, And now I am resting up and looking forward to the next races. So it's going to be really fun. Um, I am actually not racing the relay tomorrow. There are just too many races and doing... um, Four races in eight days, one of them being a 50K, would just be a little too much on my body. So I'm going to be cheering and supporting the relay teams, um, getting everyone decked out with their socks and the face paint and the glitter, um, and cheering tomorrow. So it should be a lot of fun. Yeah, and and the relay doesn't really matter. So again, going back, it's like why why would why would Jesse Diggins ever even hop into one of those from from just a sheer point standpoint? Obviously, um, yeah, Sammy Smith, twenty seventh and thirtieth in the two spring qualifiers. So yeah, she's right on the tail back. But I think you know Diggins kind of said it there where it's like something happened right at the beginning where we're we're like we're not on. Well, actually, I guess she was referring more to just the pace in general. Like we're not going to be a lucky losers, but. You know, it just did seem like we were off kilter a little bit. Even and Ben had again another kind of unlucky thing. He was pinched on turns. He was stuck behind slow people. And I'm talking in the heats now. Uh, st- he got stuck behind a guy who slipped right before the most important downhill, and he still was with Juve at one point late going up that final hill. Uh, Juve just turned on the jets, and and by the way, that Juve should thank Chapaz for making that that Chapaz for making that heat so fast. I mean. Um, and Chapat ended up not qualifying, which is just insane. Uh, was placed third in that heat. Um, as I was watching the broadcast here, one thing I put in my notes was, it's interesting how no one can ever say that, you know, a girl's race is boring. You know, they always are talking about, wasn't that women's race? I should, sorry, back up. Yeah, don't fire me. Women's race. No one can say a women's race is boring. Um, wasn't that women's race exciting? And and on all the podcasts around too, it's like, well, you know, the men's race sucked, but let's talk about how great that women's race was. Now, the women's race, if it is exciting, that should be mentioned. But quite honestly, after watching the the Falun sprint, like, you know, just I guess it, it was it was okay. I wouldn't call it like the thriller in Manila or anything. You know, like something got taken down. That's a big deal. And Shestead is kind of like we're seeing this rivalry, Shestead and Sunling, and that's cool. I think that's good for the sport, but kind of bizarre. And and actually, I think this is a point I, I sh- I'm glad we f- didn't forget to talk about Falun because I'm a little bit mystified, to be honest, by Sunling's tactics to, yeah, just go from the gun as hard as she has in the last couple of sprints. And, and we're going to talk about Estonia too. We'll get to that. But like losing in both of those you know, like if your if your advantage is the hop skate and how explosive that is, and she's pretty much the only woman who is hop skating at that level. Like, I feel like you gotta use that. You know, um, it, to me, her, her she really kind of Sunling really kind of crapped her pants in the finishing stretch. Like her V two on the flats, it just maybe maybe it's just me, but I kind of feel like her hips aren't really getting forward as much as like she steads. Like she steads. 
V2. It's 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 been brought up that the RPMs are a little bit lower, but I think it's because she's really getting her body weight over her skis more effectively than Sunling is on the flats. I I don't know for sure on the uphills exactly, but some of the overhead shots in Estonia too. It's like Sunling or I mean Shestead looks kind of she kind of has like the um Kruger look almost where you see this rebound this spring the hips come forward and the hands come up high really with this beautiful motion and yes obviously Sunling is powerful but her power is it's not as coordinated her her entire core and ski muscles aren't as coordinated as Shestead's which is kind of interesting and maybe even ironic in some ways because Shestead has a you know the height difference is so dramatic I, I would expect the shorter skier just less angles to deal with less leverage issues to deal with like that that would Sunling would have all that put together but maybe that's also why Sunling can get away with it because she's just so powerful and she's not having to waste energy overcoming issues that would also arise with that leverage but yeah those are my two takeaways it's like I didn't like Sunling's strategy thought she kind of crapped her pants in the straightaway and yeah the race was kind of exciting but it wasn't that insane and Sunling to be honest maybe is just a little bit overrated go look up her Wikipedia page guys she's got seven total World Cup wins yeah she's a multi-time world champion right Olympic medalist all that but seven World Cup wins. That's not a lot. And she's not like super young. Um, I, I know I had this pulled up, but I'll go back there again. Yana Sundling, 28 maybe, I want to say? Yeah, 28 years old. So, um, and just officially, uh, yep, an Olympic gold, an Olympic bronze, and an Olympic silver. One individual Olympic gold medal from this Olympics, uh, this past Olympics. She's got four World Championship golds, two in the team sprint, two in the sprint. Yeah, she's dominated the world championships in the sprint, but seven World Cup wins isn't it's not like she said this wasn't the upset of the century, put it that way. Okay, so like um I think if we don't have to have every single race ending with like a blood curdling scream of like this is the craziest thing ever, and then everyone to affirm that as well. Um, not every race is here comes Diggins, I guess is what I'm saying. And I think it's fair to point out the fact that we shouldn't feel like if it's a woman's race, we have to label it as the most exciting thing ever and then just trash the men. We can we could just be fair and objective too. I mean, I enjoyed watching both of these, don't get me wrong, but I actually thought the men's race, when they came when they identified that downhill as no one wants to be in front, and um the fact that, you know, you see this all the time where they wait at the top and then someone takes the bait. Well, this one it was like no one took the bait. They were like breaking on that downhill and then things had to regather. That was actually different. That honestly, that made my stomach flip a little bit more than in the girls race watching Sunling just kind of give up, give it up in the, in the, in that straightaway. Um, so yeah, that was different. And, and let's face it. If I, if I had the choice to watch a, a sprint final, a world cup sprint final and it's, and Clavo's in it versus any combination of any, women I would I, I'd still take the Clabo one because I'm witnessing greatness I'm either gonna see him win again and do something you know be perfect or I'm gonna see someone pull the upset and and Clabo is so dominant 66 wins what 30 of the last 34 sprints are wins and the other four are seconds it's it's on a level that just is it, it makes Sunling's relative dominance seem just, you know, so inferior. It's not even funny. So, yeah, I mean, she said she said is a match for Sunling. And that's cool that we've got more equivalency here. But, 
the, you know, when it comes to an, what's an exciting race, it's you want to have stakes and storylines, and Clabo has all the stakes and all the storylines of the entire World Cup. <laughs> like, he just kind of does, you know? So, I don't know. And, and not to say that guys' races can't be boring. They definitely can be boring. And women's races, I would say, generally speaking, there's a lot more diversity. So there's a lot more like, man, I wonder who's going to emerge today. I will say, generally speaking, a women's distance race tends to be more interesting because you feel like there's five or six people who might be able to pull out the win and they're all from different countries or, you know, I should say five or six nations represented could pull off a win. Whereas on the guy's side, you're like, oh gosh, are we going to see nine Norwegians in the top 10? You know, and that's frustrating for sure. Um, now I think some people in the community, ski community would have thought that that is related to wax and ski speed and the Norwegians always have an advantage, but it was actually, um, I guess wax, we might be able to kind of throw out the door potentially when it comes to that, because the night sprints we saw in Estonia, the first kind of control of wax. And this brings me to my second XC signature question. I know I'm, I'm failing. Next time we make up the, the program notes, I think we need to just kind of go boom, boom, boom. Let's prep. Sorry, this is the life of the new dad. We just kind of are winging it. But yeah, this second question. So did... Did control help or did it hurt? What was the effect of it? Well, the first thing that's kind of crazy I should bring up is the Swede, the whole drama between the Swedish team and the American team, uh, the American team accusing the Swedes of coming in with the the fluoros on the skis is kind of nuts. I think that's crazy. I think it's crazy for the Swedes to do it. I think it's crazy for the U.S. to, to witness it and maybe even most crazy that they kind of came out in the press were like, dude, we just saw this. This is nuts. You know, I think it was Elliot Brown. Um, and... You know, so that's that's kind of interesting drama for sure. Two, it sort of shows, yeah, Fist doesn't have all these things put together because are the Swedes even actually cheating there? Like, was there something in the rules that said you couldn't do that? You know, if there's not, sorry, that's kind of on Fist for not putting that in. And it's on the Swedes for maybe thinking ahead. Now, obviously, it's against the nature of the, the uh, spirit of the law, the spirit of the rule, the spirit of the event, but still uh, kind of an interesting dynamic. The, the third thing on that whole issue that's that's weird is the fact that the Swedes are like, I don't know, um, I guess the translation might be lost too, but just saying, oh, it's weird that the Americans are watching us. No, it's not. If you, It's weird that you're trying to cheat. You know, it's weird that they took pictures of this. Not really. Not in this situation. This is a completely, you know, this is a World Cup where we decide to go no fluoros. So, you know, it's weird that you tried to skirt the system and then are kind of like, I don't know, denying it like a fourth grader who got in trouble and is like scared he's going to the principal's office or he's just back against the wall, just throwing darts, you know, it's just, no, no, I didn't do it. It's you're the weird one. I mean, come on, man. You're obviously in the wrong here um, or, or come out and say, hey, yeah, that's exactly what we did, but it wasn't in the rules. So what what's the big deal? Um, <laughs> I think this whole wax discussion is... Well, that's the first thing we can get outraged by. And there's so many things we can get outraged by. I mean, look, coming from running, when I came into skiing, the first thing I was just like, well, this sport can't be the greatest sport ever because it's just patently not fair. I still have some sentiment there. Uh, the fact that it's this is a different sport. It's not like running where, every, where people step on the line, all have like kind of equal opportunity. It's nowhere near that. And um, I've obviously have learned from talking to people, wax techs, experienced people in the sport, like different um, edges to this diamond because it's not quite as simple as, well, why can't we just equalize everything? So the, there's a component to this discussion that's fatiguing because you feel like it's never going to get solved. So everyone should just kind of deal with it. Uh, but then I get this email and it's from a loyal 
member of Grip Wax Nation. Let me pull it up here. Um, it says, Ryan, listen to some of your old episodes. Um, oh, actually, no, I'm going to skip that. and bring that up in a second. Um, would love to hear the hot take on common waxing. Has fists saved the environment yet? If wax is supposed to be equalized, then why use any wax at all? Put them all on waxless skis. I mean, how do we know the new waxes aren't also bad for the environment in some different, perhaps worse way? And uh, this is a great email. That's a great point. When it comes to this wax issue, first of all, yeah, if 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 one of the reasons is everyone in this community community has universally agreed that we got to save the planet, we got to you know get rid of these fluoros, we're we're hurting it. Okay, why even develop new waxes then? Just wax the skis and hear every you know. Okay, that's that's an interesting point. But even you know going back to earlier in the show, and I just said, yeah, how is it that these manufacturers are still even producing these? You know, I get it. There's this money thing. Well, FIS hasn't hasn't outlawed it and so they're gonna they obviously should produce them but how can fist not just get in cahoots with all the wax companies and go look we're getting we're going fluoro free so you can't produce these or i mean government's kind of coming in and getting involved we see them get involved in all these other climate things how are how are they letting these companies produce things if they're that bad for the earth um and then yeah that's a great point like how do we know that these other things they're making aren't also bad in a different way Kind of the same thing on the electric car discussion that I've I've had this with some of my friends too, and I don't I don't understand the ins and outs. I'm not an engineer, so I don't I really don't get it. But I've I've heard things about how you know the batteries for the cars they have to mine certain um, elements that they in, in a much larger quantity you know to now produce one tiny little battery things like that. I mean any decision anyone makes has a consequence, and so when you see these large switches like, all right, we're gonna go from having gas cars to electric vehicles like there's there's a cost to the electric vehicle too so do we know automatically the long-term 400 year impact on geology and the environment and everything from if everyone were to drive electric cars no we never get that it's it's like if you can buy an electric car it'd be better and by golly if everyone was driving around in electric vehicles it'd be a utopia well there's that's ridiculous there's no way that could possibly be true you know like because to produce those cars, you're going to have to be taking other elements. And, and Earth is Earth. It's made up of elements. So like anything, ultimate, everything on Earth fundamentally is like um, not synthetic. You know, like things that are man-made are made from elements that are from the Earth ultimately. So keep that in mind too. Yeah, when it, and I think it kind of comes up in this wax discussion like – you know, this is the this is the line. If you if you have listened to this podcast long enough, you're gonna about to hear this drop of gold wisdom. Okay, and I thought about it. I think it pretty much summarizes up everything here, and we're seeing it a lot in our world too. <laughs> if you are trying to virtue signal, um, without any virtue, like actual consistent true virtue, you will always be running into complex inconsistencies and problems everywhere. You know, and that's what we're seeing all over the place and people aren't like like this emailer right here is 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 thinking rationally he's thinking trying to think consistently and he's sort of posing these questions that are yeah they're rhetorical and they're the answer is kind of it's we all kind of know the answer you know but we have to pretend uh to come out and be like no 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 it's not how it works uh but anyway here, here's the other element that no one brought up um, except maybe on Facebook, people have brought this up. People have definitely brought this up on Facebook. You know, like who cares if you control wax? Like one, it's just going to now put a bigger emphasis on grinds and ski quality. 
So the people with access to those things are going to have an advantage and it's going to be even more. That's 100% true. I guess the logic anyway, I I would imagine that's very true. And I think the then rebuttal is, okay, Fist, like, one, what was, you guys all know that stuff. Like, we don't need Zach Caldwell to come in and explain that to you. You guys are all ski experts. If you, if equality is the goal, if an equal playing field is a goal, how do you just go, well, let's equalize waxes and then it'll all be solved. It's like, no, you just made it worse. Are you kidding me? Like, so the fact that that was brought up by people commenting on Facebook too, it's like, man, that is weird. And so how about this? Why not just control everything? You know, universal grinds, like have have the ski quality be the only thing. Clabo, choose your two skis that you want. And then those skis go, everything is ground the same. Everything is waxed the same. So that the only thing is the actual ski itself and the relationship of that ski to the snow. Now, I think, obviously, one, this isn't going to make it perfect because some people will say, well, the ski quality itself is 80% of it. I don't know if I totally buy that. Like, and the other thing is, if they if they make it so Clabo has you know two skis that he gets to send in and then he can test between those, um, part of it's just a luck now. Like what if what if Clabo's two skis the flex to the snow conditions like hard packed versus slush or it starts to snow? What if those happen? What if he hit like the Russian roulette or what if some other guy hits the jackpot lottery? You know, it makes it so there's some randomness to it, and I don't really like that because. As much as I wish the sport could somehow be like running and everyone's on the same starting line, I also want to give credit to the fact that, hey, I, I'm for the capitalist competitive thing. You got to be good at, at at technicianing. Sorry, it's part of the game. It's part of the game. You got to have a good wax tech. You got to have lots of waxes with you. If you care so much, get more. If you care so much, hire a better grinder. If you care so much, have more grinding systems. Like these are all things that you you want to let competitive competition play out to some degree. So yeah, it's it's actually most frustrating in some ways at like the this most citizen level. Like I don't have unlimited resources, so I can't do all those things. I can't have a fleet of hundred skis. But like when we're talking these nations, you know, like the U.S. has enough money, I right? Like I don't know, just get. Pay more and have a better wax tech then. Have more wax techs. Have more skis for everyone. Have on-site grinding. Like, there's something to be said, I think, about, like, if it matters so much, go for it all in. But I, that's that's the one. I think if you're going to go competitive capitalist style, I'm kind of okay with that. Like, just make it so it's a free market. You know, don't hand don't handcuff the Norwegians randomly and arbitrarily and then just have it be random. Sorry, Clabo, you only get two skis and we're going to wax them. Well, part of Clabo's advantage is he has a great wax text and he's, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, you could go that route. Or if you're going to go the other route, let's try and control everything. Then you got to control everything. You can't just control wax. And I think that's the bottom line here. Um, now, this emailer has uh, another portion of this email that I think is great. It's the signature. Where are we? XD signature question number three here. He says, listening to some of your old episodes, good commentary on the body image outrage from last year. Outrage. We started. Outrage. Lots of outrage. Pixiegate, perhaps? Oh, do we have a new Pixiegate here? He says, made me wonder about the repeated near constant observations during recent races about Shestead's height. How do we know she's not self-conscious about it? Many tall women are. Where's the outrage? He laughs out loud. So much inconsistency. So little time. It's so true. Again, if you are trying to virtue signal from an inconsistent place of virtue, you will 
always have problems, and we're seeing that play out right here. This is an excellent point. First of all, um, my opinion is that. Well, I, actually, before I state my opinion, let's let's go where he's right here. One, absolutely, that people are commenting on Shista being this tall skier. She's so much. She's so much taller than everyone. You know, she's got these long loping um, this technique as a result of it. I think if you want to try and play the virtue signal game, you cannot mention her height. You can mention that her her um, strides are slower, you know, longer. She has a longer uh, kick and glide and all that sort of stuff. I think that's fair game. But yeah, it's baffling how apparently that's fine. Um, also, did you notice actually the most recent Fast Gear podcast, they had a guest on there and he was talking about how in Estonia, the slush conditions, he mentioned Anger and Shanova being just like these heavier skiers. And uh, that should have been harder, but it wasn't really. He was, he was talking all about body weight and, and Nat Hurts and Devin. They just didn't even go though. They just kind of like went on to the next thing. Um, it's funny, right? How like these other countries are not the same as the US. We are very like petrified is a great way to describe announcers, writers, everyone when it comes to describing body weight because it's like a total no-fly zone at all. Uh, but anyway, yeah, I think when I saw An- um, She Stead Ski, she reminds me of um, a person I know who is in fact built very similar, tall, um, kind of a longer like torso. I-, I won't describe you know, in full, but but someone who's self-conscious, I would say, about her height. She's always been taller than everyone in her grade and everything went through. Definitely. And in fact, her, um, it's kind of slouch. Like she has like a sl- uh, kind of a slouch in her back because of it. You know, that, that tends to happen with people even if they're like, you know, subconsciously self-conscious even. Um, so yeah, it's definitely something that there's a minority of people, if you're if you are really tall, that you would feel self-conscious about it. And and I think it does need to be brought up. And it go it's just like let's add that to the file of the inconsistency here from from broadcasters and announcers. Um and yeah, I don't know if there's like a perfect answer. I think I think my opinion would have to be again, you gotta go, you're either just gonna talk about skiing attributes and really never identify it or identify it, just throw it out there. And and if it hurts if it hurts uh, the feelings of someone, that's again, you, you can't really bubble wrap the whole world. Like every comment could hurt someone. It really could. Like any comment about technique, I would feel I would feel very self conscious about that if people were talking about how goofy my skate technique looked. Um and so I, I think ultimately that self-conscious thing is like, it's going to be there. So I, I do almost wonder if like, Hey, they're professional athletes and who cares? Not even, well, they're professional athletes. It's just, Hey, this is the nature of it. You know, like, and if you're a writer, you know, this already, like you, you have Facebook comments when your posts are seen by many people. I know I do like, there's a hundred people who will say, this is the worst story ever. He's the worst writer ever. He doesn't know anything, you know? And then there's some people who th- say he's great or what, you know, back and forth. And so if you're in an arena where there is, some arenas have a possibility for these personal attacks. You some places you have to have thicker skin than other places. There's no no doubt about it. There's some professions you need to have thicker skin than other places. Um, so I I kind of am a little more honestly on the side of like the guy commenting that Anger is big and Shanova is big, and so it would be harder for them to ski on there. Fine, yeah, mention it. You know, and 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 you should. And it gets it's up to those athletes to take care of themselves that take care of their mental health. It's not up to the rest of the world to cater to that. Like you need to seek, um, guidance, wisdom, and help. 
and and I speak that you know I'm not just like shooting from the hip here. I've I have gone through some of these trials myself, and in like I said, like the thick skin thing, you have to learn, and maybe you have to adjust some things so that you can handle that kind of criticism in a better way. But you can't you can't expect the entire world to all of a sudden not criticize and not bring up topics that might um, hurt your feelings. It's 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 rough. It's tricky. Um, so again, I'm not, I'm not criticizing these broadcasters. I think along with the emailer here, I'm siding with him for being kind of inconsistent. Um, another kind of touchy topic I think is interesting. And I just noticed this. I've not been alerted to it by anyone else. Just kind of gradually noticing it for some reason in the U S ski community, we, and actually maybe the ski community in general, it's, it's interesting. We're very sheltering towards younger athletes. Um, <laughs> like if they're a junior athlete, we're not going to write a story about them. And I, before I had a job with the Vail Daily, um, I remember thinking and posing this option like, hey, I would love to write a story about this junior's training camp and kind of how it's going. They were coming up to visit. Uh, oh, actually, this was when I was writing for the Vail Daily. Yeah, so I, I, I had offered to write a story about juniors coming to Copper and kind of uh, doing a training camp here. And a response from multiple places was, you know, no, we're not going to do that. We don't, we don't write about junior athletes. And, and, and it was explained to me in such that like, they're young, we want to kind of protect them. And for some reason at that point, I didn't respond just like, well, you know, that like across the entire world and country and everything, like there's high school reporters, high school sports reporters that are interviewing like 14 and 15 year olds because they're freshmen. You know, like if a freshman scores 28 points in the game last night against Mandan, he's going to get interviewed by the local sports reporter. Sorry. You know, but like if he's a 19 year old U.S. skier, oh gosh, we got to protect him because we just don't know how it's going to affect his psyche. Am I the only one who thinks that's kind of weird? Like, I, I think that's that's not how it should be. Now, I've sensed as you might know and be aware of, I've written several stories on U.S. skiers and prominent high school skiers. I covered the crap out of the Colorado State meet, and I love to put those kids out there and and put them up on a pedestal. And I'm gonna I'm gonna report about them. I'm gonna ask some questions. I'm gonna give them the opportunity. And um, I've never had like any parent go, I can't believe you're asking this 16 year old who just had the game winning shot in lacrosse. Like how did, how dare you interview him? You know? Uh, and, and I haven't had anyone do that with skiing or running either. Um, I've tried to be positive and all these things. I'm not going to, I am definitely not going to write an opinion page about a 15 year old blowing a game. I don't do that. And even, you know, in poor performances, I definitely do try to be respectful. I, I don't write like it's ESPN where they just rip Terrell Owens or they rip Kevin Durant for Kyrie Irving for everything. I don't do that. I don't write like that, but I think covering them is something we should do. And lo and behold, after, you know, I've had a couple of features on some athletes. I just write about them like I do everyone else. <laughs> now we're starting to see other publications cover junior nationals like crazy again. So not sure. I don't know all the backstory. I don't know all that. I don't, I'm not saying I'm a trailblazer by any means, uh, but I think it's an interesting now shift maybe in the trend that like, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> hey, that blacklisted guy started writing about it. We better do that too. We can't let his athletes get all the glory. Uh, I don't know. It's something kind of interesting. Another inconsistency I think we see because, again, if you're a 16-year-old football player, you're going to get interviewed. Why would we protect some 20-year-old? And these are athletes. This is important to our Nordic community. Like, I think you can report about anything. 
honestly. You can, you can interview a nine-year-old if they, if they win a race and you want to ask them, how did you feel today in the race? Like, that is okay. <laughs> Sorry. I think, it, I think it can be. Like, take a picture of them, whatever. You know, again, we can't bubble wrap everything. If you're, I've seen some of this, like some parents, they think their kid is the next Schifrin or whatever, and it's like they're going to protect him from all media. I don't like think that's a terrible idea necessarily. I think it's a little bit, it's going to be hard for them to do, but you know, hey, we live in a world now where where there are there might be a microphone put in front of you. If you're nine years old and you're getting a microphone shoved in front of you, you probably did something pretty crazy, but I don't know. Yeah, on that point, I guess I heard a podcast of someone talking about how childhood actors are always incredibly messed up. I could see that too. Your your idea of reality would be a little bit warped, but hey, this is skiing. It's a, it's a niche sport, a niche community. I don't think we're going to hurt any high schoolers if we talk to them about, about their goals, about how they felt about their race and that sort of thing. Now, one high schooler going into college who's going to have a tough choice, and this is my final XC signature here, is Sam Smith. Sammy Smith, we, we saw her do great at World Juniors. She's now making some uh, World Cup debut and doing really well, I think, to qualify. That's impressive. What is she going to do next year? Um, well, I think she's going to Stanford and she's going to play soccer, right? We know that much. That's pretty awesome. <clears throat> what would you do if you were Sammy Smith? I think that's the question I wrote down here. What would you do if you were Sammy Smith in that situation, given your multi-sport talent, the prospects, college, all of that? Um, this is tough and I'm sure I'll get, you know, emails on this too. Like, I can't believe you said that, but I think, first of all, the first thing I thought when I posed this question myself was, oh, I, you got to go try and make it to the world cup. Don't you like, or go to a ski school. Like this is crazy. Our best prospect is going to go to Stanford and play soccer. This is nuts. Um, I've never seen her play soccer. I, I know she's like very elite at it. So I, I don't think it's, easy to just go, well, she should just give up soccer. But, you know, if she's already knocking on the door and already getting into World Cups, like, it is, it's definitely strange. So she better be really, really good at soccer. And, like, by that, I mean national team call-ups next year or in the next couple of years. Um, now, so that was my original thought. is like, how can you be that good at one sport and not want to go for it? Maybe she doesn't really like skiing. And if that's the case, like, she's not that good at skiing. You know, she's not Clabo. So, if you, if you really don't think you, if you don't like it that much, you don't like the process or any of it, then you're not going to be that great. You're not going to realize your potential. So go chase something else. Okay. You, that is sound advice. Maybe she's just talented enough that <laughs> she can get on the world cup. You know what I mean? Now, if she really likes both of those things, I think what you got to do is what she is doing. Actually go to Stanford, do the college experience in soccer with soccer. Um, and then on your own, like, Set up your training so that training for soccer doubles as training for skiing in a lot of ways. Like all your explosive weight room work can be exceptional work for skiing, you know, and in soccer, you have to be really fit. Like you can train some of that fitness doing distance roller skis or distance running or whatever and like make it happen that way. Schedule out your season so you can still do some ski racing. Maybe this is what she's going to do. I'm just saying this is what I would do if I was her. You know, like I would be in coordination with my soccer coach going, look, I have aspirations to ski on the World Cup. And I think if I train like this, it will also help me become the best soccer player possible. Um, and then of course, since no one actually goes to school anymore, just take your Stanford glasses online or whatever, right? <laughs> I think I brought that up on another show. So yeah, that's the other piece of the puzzle is like Stanford high academics there. So she's obviously going to have to be balancing a ton 
Um, I guess another route you could go is like take soccer as far as you possibly can. Like just give up skiing through your soccer career and by 23, revisit it. Because maybe at 23, you're the next Mia Hamm and it really doesn't matter that much. It's a great, sweet anecdote that you were an amazing skier who got in the World Cup. Like how cool would that be? If if you if like about Mia Hamm, it said on the footnote like she also competed in a World Cup ski and made a sprint made the sprint heats in her debut at 17 years old. People would just go that is legendary, you know. So if she if she just goes all in on soccer, gives up skiing completely, it could still work out because she either becomes the greatest soccer player of all time and she's a legend for that. No one cares that she didn't ski or. She at 22, 23 will be able to realize like, okay, I could go and play pro soccer and make like $75,000 a year. And, um, no one, no one's going to know who I am because, you know, like no one does know who a lot of pro soccer players are unless they're on, unless they're Mia Ham, right? Like we know them every four years. Um, and, and she could, she might go, yeah, I'm, I'm okay doing that. And, uh, maybe, maybe she can go to the Olympics as a soccer player and that's cool. Or she might go, you know, I want to chase down something else. And like, I'm, I think I maybe have world cup stuff in skiing and I want to give that a shot now. And if she's 22, well, actually she's 17. So like four years after Stanford, like she could be 21, 22 and, and decide like, I think I'm going to go back to skiing. I mean, even if it takes her two and a half, three years to like get her ski stuff back. So she's what, 24, you know, she's got 10 more years to be the next Rosie Brennan. So I think there's there's a couple different routes there. You could you could try and do everything, or you could try and do one at a time and have the be soccer or do um, skiing. I don't think the one thing you, she probably can't do is you know go to Dartmouth and ski, and then later on go and I want to go try out for the Colorado Rapids or whatever. So yeah, there there we go. We just solved all of Sam Smith's uh, problems, I guess. Right, her dilemma, a good dilemma to have, I should add. <laughs> yeah. And in Sam Smith, if you want to come on the the Cedar Skier podcast, by golly, we'd love to have you. We know you're only 17, but we do have guests that are that age that they come on our show and talk about things. So, if you want to come on a real show, be honest and open and and chatting, it'd be cool. All right, I think that's pretty much going to wrap up our show. We have got one more thing I got to bring up, and that is the Sport Hill Slow Mo of the Week. And this one's back in the Falun Sprints. You got to go back and watch it. The newcomer on the men's side, go back to one hour, 35 minutes, and seven seconds. I think his name's Ozduel. I'm not sure if I'm saying that correctly. He's the new Norwegian that came out there. Check out his start technique. What is this? Um, he had this weird action going on with his legs. I didn't see it before i don't think quite like that and no one else was doing it but he was getting out of that initial double pull actually better than the other athletes yeah i I don't even know how to describe it exactly so if you're like okay that's worth it i'll go back and and rewatch it there's my sport hill slow-mo of the week i don't think i really had some other ones i mean basically estonia was one gigantic sport hill slow-mo i mean the the series where i think it was actually i'm not sure was that in Kern's heat but Keegan Randall just like naturally reacted just like oh my gosh because oh no it was a guy's it was the guy's heat I think Pellegrino there was a guy who got like broke his pole another guy behind him ran into him then a third guy like fell on the following hill and it just like it all happened it was one of the most incredible sequences um and and I mean I guess what is the conditions are like that you know what do you expect it's just going to be mayhem so that that was kind of an entire sport hill slow-mo i mean you know i didn't bring this up we didn't really chat enough about the estonia um event and again i i mean 
the two storylines there are was there an infraction in the women's race and was um what do you think of Calabo? You know, those are the two things you could talk about, I guess. And I think um on the the first issue, my initial thought was, oh my gosh, she's just gotta get DQ'd for that. Like it looks like she just messed something up a bunch. And then when I saw the slum, I was like um, no, it's the other way. Like Sundling kind of skated her skate actually kind of drilled she says. And and then the overarching idea was like, this is sprint racing. You can't DQ someone for that, right? Um, and actually really I guess that was kind of part of my initial thought is like you can't have a DQ for that. That was that was pretty incidental. Um and so case closed. I was a little shocked there was shocked that they just like went right to the podium. They didn't try and discuss it more, um, like the rules people discussed it more, because it seemed like, well, there was contact. These are the first and second place people, you know, best murders in the world right now, too, to top it all off. So I kind of thought they might hang things up a little bit, but you know, I guess they decide not to and we, and we move on and she said wins again. Um, and it is really, you know, I, I spent part of the show talking, oh, saying it's okay to not say a women's race is exciting. I think, well, women's races aren't always the most thrilling for me. There is something to be said about some of these developing rivalries within the women's world cup that I like, like, I like the fact that we've got kind of the Ebba Frida thing. We also sort of have the Ebba Frida verse the rest of the world thing, you know, like uh, on the distant side. And Jesse's certainly in there. And, and she is not like there's bla- bad blood, but like depending on the event, if it's a skate distance race, hey, that's pretty sweet. We, we've got Rosie we can watch. We've got Diggins we can watch. We've got Ebba. We've got Frida, you know, plus if there's enough climbs, you know, you throw in um, – that incredible French climber. <laughs> the name is escaping me because we've been on the air for 80 minutes. Why? Um, but anyway, that's cool. I think the women's depth across the board nationwide makes each of those races a little bit more interesting. Even if within a, an actual race, the, the actual drama doesn't feel quite as dramatic. Because I don't. I, I think it's, I don't care if it's five Norwegians. Like, I think it's pretty epic when all the Norwegians are, are trying to take down Klabo in a sprint, too. You know, like they're, you got to think they're just not, it's not like it's this red machine of, well, let's just do whatever it takes for Klaba to win. Like Volnus wants to beat him, you know? Um, but, and, and on the guy's side, I think, you know, for Klaba to conquer the whole wax thing, first of all, like, I think there's got to be some speculation of, well, I guess that settles you, right? He's the best. It's not just that he has the best skis and other people like smarter people. No, it, you, you're dumb. Like Klaba's skis are the best. So <laughs> makes sense that he, um, when you take away wax out of the equation, there was no way for anyone else to come close to him. And maybe that's the truth. And by the way, he's on those magic black fishers. I brought this up before. When is Klabo ever going to hop on the, uh, new speed max heliums? He doesn't seem to, I, I don't think I've seen him wear those, um, in a skate race, man, for a long time. But I definitely noticed it that in Estonia, I'm pretty sure he had an old pair of black ones. So th- there might be some secret fast ski in his quiver that's working across all these conditions, but you know what it, it is, what it is, I guess that's not great branding for Fisher. They better, they better work on their next model. So, uh, but, but it was cool to see like, man, again, first, the qualifier first, the final. And in these rough conditions, he never took a fall. Somehow stays out of trouble. I mean, what more is there to say about him? Uh, and that phrase does get used quite a bit. We're seeing over and over again, everyone always saying, you know, the great Clabo uh, for all the kids watching out there. That was Keegan's thing. She kept saying, um, you know, 
it's it's getting a little bit old to some degree, and I I don't think we need to be reminded that Clabo is the greatest that there ever was. Like we we're all pretty you know certain of that. Speaking of getting old, this show is probably getting old, so I guess we better wrap it up. Uh, enjoy the World Cups. We'll be back with some discussion after the weekend, after everything wraps up, and we'll we'll see who is crowned the overall all the disciplines as well and. Um, can Clabo win an 18th World Cup, a 19th World Cup? I guess he, he can't really tie the uh, season record, which is 20, I believe. So that's a bummer. But the dominance continues. The show continues. Life moves on. And as for you, keep on striving. Keep on skiing.